When I retired, with lots of newfound available time, I enjoyed many travel opportunities. This podcast may encourage you to visit, revisit, or experience virtual armchair travel, learning about exciting new venues. Travel is an excellent vehicle for lifelong learning. Welcome to the What Travel Writers Say podcast. I'm Mike Keenan, your host, and today we examine two wonderful Can-Am cruises. My favorite archipelago, a cluster of islands near a mainland, is located in the St. Lawrence River. The misnamed 1,000 Islands is actually composed of 1,864 islands, some large like Wellesley Island, home to the Wellesley Island State Park, and others quite tiny. How tiny? For island status, there must be at least one square foot of land above water level year-round, and it must support two living trees. These inviting islands, most popular in the summer, stretch for 50 miles downstream from Kingston, Ontario. Two-thirds belong to Ontario, the other third New York State. To fully appreciate the huge Can-Am archipelago, I take two cruises, first from Gananoque, 20 minutes east of Kingston, and then from Alexandria Bay, New York. The Gananoque boat line operates five triple-decker all-aluminum vessels. I opt for the short one-hour cruise aboard the 1000 Islander, captained by Tim Brooks and Ryan Riddell, Gananoque natives. Tim explains that the ship's small five-and-a-half-foot draw allows access everywhere, even into the shallows. The water quite crowded on this sunny morning with motorboats, sailboats, cruisers, and a squadron of brave kayakers. Private cottages set amidst the islands are fifth and sixth generation, whose owners include business and political leaders from Canada and the U.S., a few university professors, and Whit Tucker, an ex-CFL player. We venture through narrow channels of the Admiralty and Navy group of islands, viewing small lighthouses and watching for great blue heron, osprey, and geese. We pass by several parks, including the St. Lawrence Highlands National Park and McDonald, Forsyth, Hay, Lindsay, Leek, and Bostwick Islands. Water clarity improved noticeably in the mid-1990s with the arrival of zebra mussels, which feed on algae. The area offers several shipwreck sites, and although most are over 100 feet deep, some are a mere 15 feet down, seen from the surface. Tim and Ryan report that muscalunge are the most prized fish in these waters, the remarkable record just one ounce short of 70 pounds. However, 20 to 30 pounders are much more common. There are also pike, pickerel, bass, and several other species abundant here. Towards the end of the cruise, we come upon an unusual sight off our starboard. Upon a minuscule island, there is a cottage and a boat parked at the dock and wedged miraculously between the two, a small helicopter that I would like to watch get into and out of its remarkable postage stamp size pad. On the American side at Alexandria Bay, opposite Bolt Castle, I take the early morning Uncle Sam's Two Nation Tour. 
a two-and-a-quarter-hour cruise with Kenneth Belfield, our captain. Ken adeptly steers our impressive-looking and quite full sternwheeler along myriad geographical highlights, such as Millionaire's Row, at the beginning of the tour to set the tone. A marvelous grouping of opulent summer residences for the super-rich of the 1920s, each millionaire trying to outdo the other in size and grandeur, with Bolt's castle leading the way. In 1900, George Bolt, GM of the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City and the Bellevue Stratford Hotel in Philadelphia, started to build a huge structure, one of the largest private homes in the United States, a six-story castle as a present for his wife. Equally distinctive is a huge yacht house on a neighboring island where the Bolts enjoyed another summer home and a vast estate incorporating farms, canals, a golf course, tennis courts, stables, and a polo field. I feel certain I might bump into F. Scott Fitzgerald's Great Gatsby walking about on one of the islands. Disaster struck and construction ceased abruptly in 1904 after the death of Bolt's wife, Louise. Sadly, he never returned to Hart Island. For 73 years, the castle and other structures exposed to theft and harsh weather. The Thousand Islands Bridge Authority acquired Hart Island and the nearby yacht house in 1977 for $1. All revenues obtained from the castle operation are applied towards restoration, such that the island is preserved for the enjoyment of future generations. They have spent over $15 million for restoration and improvements, and work continues annually. We pass several islands with suggestive names such as Devil's Oven, the tiny cave-like hiding place of pirate Bill Johnson used during the Patriots' War of 1837, Tom Thumb Island, Fiddler's Elbow, and Smuggler's Cove. We cruise by the Summerlin group of islands, Grenadier Island, the Canadian Palisades, view the imposing sky deck on Hill Island, a 400-foot-tall observation deck, and we take in the Whirlpool Channel. We observe international ships heading upriver to ports ringing the Great Lakes or downriver to the ocean and distant lands. We also encounter many pleasure boats from kayaks cruising along the shoreline to high-performance power boats crisscrossing the main shipping channel. At the end of the cruise, there is an option to disembark at Hart Island to enjoy a self-guided tour of Bolt Castle and a return to the mainland every 30 minutes on smaller vessels. We cover 22 miles round trip through American and Canadian waters, the heart of the Thousand Islands, while listening to informative talks by our tour guide, a young lady who provides a lively narrative. For me, the two cruises were timely. I just finished Anne Michael's novel, The Winter Vault, which deals with the widening of the St. Lawrence Seaway, recognized as one of the most challenging engineering feats in history. Seven locks were built in the Montreal-Lake Ontario section of the seaway, five Canadian and two U.S., in order to lift vessels 246 feet above sea level. An odd factoid is that the Thousand Island dressing was named for the chain of islands by May Irwin, an actress who popularized the dressing, stating that she thought the chopped vegetables in the dressing looked like the Thousand Islands region. To sum up, the Thousand Islands is a delightful region to cruise. History, opulence, natural wonders, and serene views are all yours on one of these two tranquil cruises down the St. Lawrence. 
In Ontario, we stayed at the Gananoque Inn and Spa, and in New York State, the Thousand Islands Harbor Hotel in Clayton, which also boasts a must-see museum, the fascinating Antique Boat Museum. At the Antique Boat Museum, you'll find the largest and most impressive collection of freshwater recreational boats in North America. The museum is especially noted for its St. Lawrence River skiff and classic powerboat collection. Every August, the museum holds the nation's oldest antique boat show. The 10 buildings on site contain 29,000 square feet of exhibit space and 33,000 square feet of collections, storage, archives, library, and administrative space. Be aware that you can easily spend several hours, if not more, on site. It's open daily from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Adults and seniors pay $14 and $12 respectively, and youth aged 7 to 17 are $8, with children under 6 years free. Highly recommended, try the free 30-minute guided tour of the 1903 houseboat La Duchess. This 106-foot houseboat provides one with an immediate sense of the Gilded Age grandeur prevalent along Millionaire's Row, those islands in the St. Lawrence that housed the rich and famous in the 1920s. The houseboat was built for hotelier George Bolt, manager of New York City's Waldorf Astoria Hotel. It was a marvel with meticulously maintained fur decking, stained glass windows displaying the Bolt family crest, and decorative molding. The houseboat had no motor. Essentially, it was constructed upon a barge that had to be towed. Bolt's castle was built for his wife, but before completion she died, and broken-hearted, he never returned to the island, leaving his building to suffer from vandals and weather. The houseboat eventually sank in his harbor. Along came another millionaire to the rescue, Andrew McNally III of the Rand McNally Map Company, and his wife Margaret purchased La Duchess and sent divers down to repair her damaged hull. The family placed the houseboat in dry dock in 1946, where she underwent a year-long restoration. The family donated her to the Antique Boat Museum, which built the McNally Yacht House to shelter her during the off-season. Our visit began inside the Elizabeth and Bowling Haxal building, where we were introduced to the museum by Atosis, a rare 100-year-old race boat in its original condition. We viewed a short film in the theater down the hall past the store and set about to explore. Myriad galleries offer much more to see. The small craft building exhibits canoes, St. Lawrence skiffs, and a display about the ways that the boats move across the water. The Quest for Speed exhibit, my favorite, in the Gold Cup building, showcases the history of boat racing, from the Gold Cup and Harmsworth Trophy winner Dixie II to record-setting hydroplanes and modified Packard and Liberty airplane engines. It is most impressive. I like the bios of the racers and the display of speeds along the wall. I was surprised to see a display on Canadian bandleader Guy Lombardo not associating him with boat racing. Inside the E.J. Noble Historic Stone Building, volunteers and staff restore boats from the impressive collection. We did not spend much time here. The Cleveland E. Dodge Memorial Launch Building exhibits an amazing collection of powered pleasure boats that includes launches, utilities, cruisers, and more. 
The Dr. Fred Thomas Gallery exhibits the St. Lawrence Skip, our indigenous watercraft, showing why this special small craft developed here on the river primarily as a fishing vessel and how it came to be much more, from a family's utility boat to a pleasure craft to a racing machine. The Pauline Morgan Dodge Gallery examines the evolution of different canoe-building traditions in the ongoing search of the perfect canoe. Anyone who has canoed will love this exhibit. The in-water fleet, housed in the McNally Yacht House, consists of four boats, Miss 1000 Islands II, a mahogany runabout, Teal, another mahogany runabout, Zipper, a commuter yacht, and Wild Goose, a high-speed launch for island commuting. This was a great find. If your spouse is not quite as interested as you may be, there are benches handy along the waterfront from where one may sit and watch the sailing school in operation, teaching children to navigate on the St. Lawrence. The museum website contains a wealth of information. If you would like to read my published travel articles about these cruises and the places visited, check out my website, whattravelwriterssay.com. And if you'd like to view countless pictures, visit my Pinterest boards at pinterest.com slash mustang6648 backslash. Once again, my website is located at whattravelwritersay.com. My photos are located at pinterest.com backslash mustang6648 backslash. If you have any questions or comments, contact me at mjk6648 at gmail.com. That's mjk6648 at gmail.com. We conclude each podcast with an appropriate travel quote. Today it's from St. Augustine who said, The world is a book, and those who do not travel read only one page. Thanks for listening. Happy travels, and tune in next week for another What Travel Writers Say podcast.